Well, thank you so much, worship team. They're going to be clearing off uh, the keyboard here, so we'll just give them a second. This is Brianna on the, the keys and vocals, Josiah on the cajon, and Pat, uh, our worship pastor. Uh, so grateful for them. Can we just give them some love really quickly? Yeah, that's it's awesome, isn't it? I'm going to be honest with you, it's hard to be up here because we can't hear anything. It, we can't really see a whole lot. So we appreciate that feedback. And I appreciate uh, you all so much. Thank you for leading us in worship. So if you've been with us over the last number of weeks, you'll remember that we're going through a series right now called Digital Exile. And it's this reality that we find ourselves in this world that is digitized. A world that pulls us away from what's normal, and it thrusts us into what's unnatural, something that's a poor representation of, of what God has made. I'm just going to step up here. And so a big part of this series is kind of exploring the, the things and the ways that we overcome this digital exile. We're reminded that in scriptures, the Israelites experienced exile a number of times. The, 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 the Israelites experienced a number of times where they were away from their homeland, away from the place that God had set for them. And in those times, we know that they lost bits of their culture. We know that they, they lost bits of their faith and their understanding of who God was. And who God was to them. And so we're in this, the midst of, of 2020 and in this world that really is, is all digital. And we find ourselves removed from what God has planned for us. And instead, we're in this digital version of it. And if we're not careful, and if we're not aware, we begin to lose who we are. We begin to lose the things that God is speaking to us and the promises that he has shared with us. And so the question really is, in the midst of this digital exile that we find ourselves in, how do we overcome it? How do we become men and women that are committed to the call that Christ has for our lives? And the answer is this, we become disciples of Jesus. And when we unpack that a little bit further, we notice that we need to become disciples that are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion. Because if you don't think that you're being coerced into believing, into thinking different things than you naturally would, you're greatly mistaken. Because we live in a world that 24-7 pushes its agenda on us all of the time. And so we need to rise above that. We need to become men and women who are resiliently faithful to Jesus and to focus our eyes on him. And I want to tell you right now, being resiliently faithful does not mean that we become ignorant. Last week, we talked about asking big questions. We talked about how God is big enough to handle our questions. That, that part of developing and, and curating a faith that's actually worth living out is one that asks the big questions of life and doesn't just take things at face value. So being resiliently faithful does not mean that we become ignorant. It also doesn't mean that we become entrenched in the things that we believe. You know, just because we grew up believing something or just because you believed something for a long time doesn't mean that it's right. Just because, you know, your Sunday school teacher, who was probably amazing, she was probably a sweet lady growing up, just because she taught something doesn't mean that it's true. 
And so we don't become ignorant and we don't become entrenched in what we believe. Instead, being resiliently faithful looks like this. It means that we are open-minded, yet we guard our heart. Proverbs 4.23 tells us that above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Now, just a quick thing about Proverbs 4.23. We often use it in a romantic sense, don't we? Oh, honey, you got to guard your heart against that boy because he's bad news. Well, I'm sorry to tell you right now that, that that's not what the writer of Proverbs was talking about. Now, certainly, I mean, guard your heart. Don't give yourself away for no reason. And, and don't, give yourself, don't give too much of yourself away. Absolutely, those things are real. But what the, what the writer of this proverb is saying is that what you believe in your heart, what, what exists in here is what's going to dictate what comes out of you. It's, it's going to be the things that, that pour out of you. It's, it's the actions that you have come from what you believe in your heart. And so he says, guard your heart above everything else. The second thing that I believe being a resiliently faithful disciple means is this, that we see our faith like a marriage. I'm going to unpack this a little bit, but just really quickly, I am married to an amazing woman, and my faith needs to be like my marriage to her. Because sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's not easy being married to Luke Gordon. And I know that's shocking to all of you gathered here tonight. But it's true. And when we begin to see our faith like we see our marriage, we begin to cultivate this deep commitment that no matter what comes and no matter what happens, that we will remain faithful. Because we know that our partner is faithful and our partner in this relationship of faith is Jesus, and he is the ultimate person who is faithful. And I'll be the first to admit that, that developing this resiliency and developing this faithfulness as a disciple is not an easy journey. It's difficult. It's one that takes a lifetime. A big fancy theological word for it is sanctification. It's the process of becoming holy. It's the process of becoming set apart from the world around us, from being set apart from the sinful nature that is within each one of us. But tonight I want to talk about something that is an integral piece of the puzzle of our faith. And something that I believe that if we don't get it right, if we don't engage with it properly, and if we don't give it our whole heart, that we cannot truly become disciples of Jesus. Tonight, we're going to talk about the church. The church in Scripture is symbolically seen as the bride of Christ. And if we look at Ephesians 5, 25 to 30 really quick, and, and if you're not on it, if you go to elamya.com and you click on the drive-in service card, there's actually some notes and there's the scripture there. So if you want to follow along, you can there. If you have your Bibles with you, follow along in there. But Ephesians 5, verse 25 and on, it says this, For husbands... This means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we 
are members of his body. And don't worry, we're not, we're not going to get into marriage tonight. That's not the purpose of, of why we've gathered. But I think that we need to understand something that's happening here as the background of this scripture so that we can better understand what's going on. And it's this. In ancient Rome, when this was written in first century Palestine, when Paul wrote these words, you have to understand that to love somebody was actually a sign of weakness. The word love was reserved for people of lesser status towards people of greater status. You see, uh, a person who was at the top of society, the person who was at the top of their household, or the person who was in control of things didn't love the people below him or her. To love was only something that was done from the lesser to the greater. And so when men... When men were called to love their wives, it was so countercultural. In a world where women were not even considered as good as young children, women were nothing. Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit from God, writes these words that men, you ought to love your wives. If you look at what the scripture says and you think that it's archaic and it's out of date, let me just tell you that at one time it was radical. At one time it stood opposed to every single thing that the culture and the world says was important. We serve a God who is forward thinking. We serve a God who is progressive. We serve a God who loves and cares for all. And when he says for men to love their wives, he uses the word agape. And if you listened to this weekend service with Pastor Marvin, he unpacked a little bit some of the different words in Greek for love. And one of them being agape is the word that really means this unconditional, selfless love that pours out, one that looks past wrongs and looks past sin, and it focuses on the beauty within. It brings life. It's an all-encompassing love. And it's what's used to describe the way God loves his people. And it's the, it's the word that's used to describe the way that Jesus loves his church. And so why is this important? It's important because if we're honest, I think that some of us have gotten in the habit of hating on the church. In fact, the message, this message tonight, I titled it, Stop Swearing at the Church. Because if we're really honest, there are times we look at the church. We look at the gathering of God's people and, and we think, ah, man, it's just missing the mark. And I want to be honest with you, there, there's real hurt out there. But I also want to say this. That almost every single person that I've ever met that has walked away from their faith didn't walk away because they logicked themselves out of God. They walked away because somebody in the church hurt them. Or because something in the church, because of people, hurt them. I have my own story of hurt from the church. Many of you may know this, but when I was 19 years old, my dad died of cancer. And we were part of a church that believed in healing, much like our church now. We believed that God was able. He had done it before. He could do it again. And so we prayed and we asked God for healing. Unfortunately, my dad was not healed in the way that we had prayed for. He wasn't healed on earth. He didn't spend any more days. My kids will never know their grandpa because my dad was taken from me at a young age. But listen... The thing that was so difficult about it all was that after my dad died, 
there were people in the church that told me it was because we didn't have enough faith. There were people in the church that told me my dad died because we didn't believe enough, that maybe there was some sin that we hadn't dealt with in our family. And I was at a place in my life where it would have been really easy for me to walk away. It would have been really easy for me to look up at heaven and swear at the church and say, I'm done with this. But I praise God for the fact that he called me to something more and he spoke truth to me and told me, son, that is not what I teach. That is not what scripture says. And that is not the way the church is supposed to be. So I get it. The church is far from perfect. The church is not the perfect thing that it's supposed to be. But I want to also maybe enlighten you to something tonight. Part of the reason why it's not perfect is because you and I are a part of it. Human beings make up the church. And because it's made of us, it's imperfect. But we can't turn a blind eye to the realization and the fact that throughout Scripture, God chose the church in a big way to reveal himself to his creation. The church is us. It's this group of people that is gathered tonight. It's the people that call Jesus king of their life. It's the people that say, I want to be, like we talked about last week, little Christs. That derogatory term that the Romans used to describe people that followed Jesus, they called them little Christs, literally Christians. For those of us that, that are dedicated to that, for those of us that say, I want to follow Jesus, we are the church. And so I believe that we have to reorient our understanding of the importance of the church and how we can best be a part of it so that we can fully live out our faith. Because like I said, I don't believe that we can fully live out our faith as Christ followers and not be engaged in the work of the church. I had a thought not too long ago. Because if you look at Scripture, like I said, the church is understood as the bride of Christ. And I had a thought that came to mind. And it was this. If somebody talked about my bride the way we sometimes talk about the church, I would be very upset. If somebody talked about my bride, Morgan, my wife, the way that sometimes I have thought and said things about the church, there would be trouble. And so when we talk about the church, and when we think about the church, we have to understand that it's something that Jesus loves dearly. It's the thing that Jesus died for for the church. And so the question is, is why does this matter? What does it mean? And tonight we're going to find ourselves in Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. Because I believe that in these three scripture verses, we see the three parts of the church lived out and explained. So let's read it together. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I love this passage of, of Scripture. 
because in here we see that the we see the purpose, the threefold purpose of the church explained. And it's these three things. The church exists to worship God. The church exists to edify believers and members of the church. And the church exists to spread the good news of the gospel to those who do not yet know. And so let's unpack that a little bit more. The first verse, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. The church exists to glorify God through worship. you got to understand that when this was written, the Hebrews were being pulled back. They were being pulled back to their old ways, pulled back to their old ways of worship, their old ways of understanding, their old relationship with God. They were being pulled back into a world that was not their own. And the writer of Hebrews wants to get across this message that we have a hope, and that hope is Jesus. And it's through worship that we begin to understand where Jesus sits in our lives. Because listen, worship reminds us that we're not in control. Worship literally means to adore and revere something. It's reverence and adoration. You can't revere and adore something that you have not submitted to. And if you believe that you are worshiping something that you are in control of, I'm sorry to tell you that that's not how it works. So when we come into worship, and I don't just mean singing, absolutely this is a part of it, but a worshipful heart that submits ourselves and finds ourselves in the presence of Christ and says, you are in control. I am not in control. I trust you and I follow you. When we find ourselves in that situation, we reaffirm the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ. Because worship puts things in perspective. We hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. And that hope is Jesus. The second thing is this. The church exists to glorify God by edifying his people. We, we see this in verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And you might not know what edify means. Edify is a kind of a Christianese word that's been used. Let me unpack it a little bit for you. Do you know what edify literally means? It literally means to improve someone. How awesome is that? That's what the church exists to do. Part of why the church exists, part of the reason why Jesus gave us the church and he decided to build his promise and share his good news through the church, through us as believers, was because he knew that we needed to edify. We needed to improve one another because unfortunately, by ourselves, we're not all that good. Ephesians 4, 16 says it this way, Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We are members of one body, and in that body, whether you're a hand or a foot, or maybe you're here tonight and you feel like a vestigial organ, you think, Luke, I'm nothing but an appendix. Let me tell you that the appendix is important. I don't know how. I'm not a doctor, but it's there for a reason. And let me tell you, even if you're an appendix, you matter. You. (laughs) I'm not saying you're an appendix, just to clarify. I'm just saying if that's the way you feel, you matter. The point is, is that we are all members of one body. But because we're members of one body, if one part suffers, we all suffer. And again, let me just say, if you find yourself here tonight and you don't believe that, and you believe it's fine if other people suffer, just as long as I'm okay, you have another thing coming. 
Because that's not the church that Jesus Christ laid out. He laid out a church that says, you exist to improve one another. You exist to make each other stronger because together you are better than you are by yourself. Digital exile, this place we find ourselves, it tells us that we're the only ones that matter. It tells us that our perspective is king, that our rights trump other people's rights, that my truth is, is above your truth because nothing can step on my truth. But the church of Jesus says that we are all members of one body and that together we are to improve one another. Thirdly, the church exists to glorify God by evangelizing the world. And let me just say, the word evangelize has gotten such a bad rap. And I don't know if you knew this, but today, Ravi Zacharias, one of the greatest evangelists of our age, passed away. He went to spend the rest of his eternity with the man that he fought to show the truth and the love of for his whole life. And let me tell you that if you read things that Ravi Zacharias wrote, if you look at the things that Ravi Zacharias did, if you watch the videos that Zacharias made... You can't help but feel this overwhelming sense that evangelism is a beautiful and a wonderful thing as he defended the faith. Because in verse 25 of Hebrews 10, we read this, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And it is imperative that we as the church, we as the body and the believers of Jesus Christ, understand that a big and a huge and the central part of why we exist is so that we can share the good news of Jesus. Because let me ask you something. If you believe Jesus is who he says he is, if you believe that he's the one that brings life, if you believe he's the one that overcomes death, if you believe that he is the one that is worthy of all praise, why would you keep that to yourself? My goodness, if you make a good batch of cinnamon buns, you share that on Instagram. You want the world to know how good your cream cheese frosting is. Amen. So how come you didn't, how come you didn't honk when I said you should talk about Jesus? Yeah, that's, that's better. That's better. You see these guys, Andrew? I'm telling you, man. I love you. I'm just bugging you. Now, I don't know about you, but a church that exists to worship God, to improve other people, and to share the good news of Jesus, that's a church that I want to be a part of. That's a church that I want to call home. That's a church that I want to live for. That's a church I want to fight for. That's a church that I'm willing to die for. Friends, there is a lie that the enemy wants us to believe. And we find ourselves in the middle of this digital exile, this poor representation of everything that God has for us. And the enemy wants us to believe a lie. He wants us to believe that the church is archaic. He wants us to believe that the church is old and useless and a waste of our time. He wants us to believe that it's messed up. He wants us to believe that it's okay to sleep in and not go. It's okay to not plug in and be a part of your church. He wants you to believe that. And do you know why he wants you to believe that? Do you know why he whispers in your ear, you don't need that? You can do it by yourself. You can do this all by yourself. The 
The enemy wants you to believe that lie because a church on fire for Jesus terrifies him. A church on fire for Jesus terrifies him. It sends him screaming and running back to the pits of hell because he knows that a church on fire for Jesus cannot be trifled with. He knows that a church on fire can change the world. A church on fire can bring hope where there's hopelessness. A church on fire can bring light where it's dark. A church on fire says that in the middle of quarantine, it's not going to stop us from meeting. It's not going to stop us from worshiping. It's not going to stop us from proclaiming that he is the one who is above all. That's what a church on fire does. And so he speaks those lies, and he shares them, and he puts them into your heart because he's scared. And it's because Jesus loves the church so much that Satan knows that he's no match. And so I want to ask you tonight, will you step up? Will you take this seriously? Will you join the movement, if you will? Will you look around your vehicle right now and will you begin to see these brothers and sisters as not just some people that you came here tonight to watch me and to listen to a worship team, but you came here tonight because you gathered as the church, because you believe that together we are better. Together we are stronger. Together we are more creative. Together we are better. Somebody say together right now. Come on. The digital world that we exist in right now tells us that we are on the outside looking in. And so I want to encourage us all tonight to stop looking at the world through the lens of our smartphones and start looking at it through the lens of the church and the scriptures that God has given us to guide us to Jesus because Jesus brings us life. And friends, Hebrews 10 finishes off like this in verse 39. But we, that's you and me, we are not among those who shrink back and are so lost. No, we are among those who have faith and are so saved. So let me encourage you tonight. Don't shrink away. Don't back down. Don't keep your faith to yourself. Don't believe that it's better to be spiritual than it is to be a part of a church because those are lies from the enemy, because he wants to remove you, because he wants that slow drift away, because he's terrified. And you might be asking yourself, well, how do we be the church in this day and age, in COVID-19, in this season of life that's so very strange? You might be thinking, Luke, I can't even go to work right now. How am I supposed to be the church? Well, there's a couple of things that I had in mind just to kind of wrap this up. Was one, you know, you can host a watch party of a service together. And I, and I don't mean so that you can tick off the box on, yeah, I, I watched a service this week. Maybe invite some people over. You know, be outside if you have to. Be six feet apart. Discuss. Improve one another. Worship together. 
Share about what Christ has done in your life. Consider starting a small group, meeting in a backyard, going for walks. Be together, because together we are better. And finally, I think right now as the church, we're called into a season of prayer. Because listen, prayer unlocks things. I don't understand it totally. I mean, I've gone to Bible school. I've, I've read a lot of books. But I don't, I don't totally understand how prayer works, but I know that it does. And I know that when we pray for things and when we pour out our hearts and we bring those things that are heavy on our hearts to Jesus Christ, he makes things happen. He opens doors. He sets captives free. He brings healing. He changes the direction of things. He can do that. And as we move into this, another, this next season of life, as COVID-19 is changing and our province is reopening and, and churches are trying to figure out what this looks like for us, can you pray? Will we pray? Will we pray for those people on our front lines? Will we pray for those people affected? Will we pray for those in financial distress? Will we pray for the will of God to overcome everything else in our lives? Because being a church doesn't mean large gatherings. Because Scripture tells us in Matthew 18, 20, that for where two or three are, gather, are gathered in my name, I am there among them. We are the church. And when we begin to grasp onto that truth, that together we are better than we are apart, incredible things can happen. And Christ reveals himself in powerful ways. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you for this time together. We thank you that you had a plan and a purpose for your church. We thank you that the plan and the purpose for your church was that it would stop Satan in his tracks. God, that the gates of hell would not even be able to budge in the presence of your church. And tonight, God, I pray for each person gathered here that you would remind them of that call, that call that the church is meant to worship you, the church is meant to edify one another, to improve one another, and the church exists to share the good news of Jesus. And let us all be reminded tonight that we are the church. We love you, Jesus. We adore you. We thank you for the work that you did for us, and we praise you tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen.